Let's open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, and we'll continue with our Sunday evening lessons in studying 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. We finished and completed the fourth chapter in our last lesson before the holidays. So we'll pick up with 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 1. Peter says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. We want to try to... uh, as we progress along in our verse-by-verse study, look at these verses in detail. Now, if you'll notice, he says, The elders which are among you, I exhort. The elders are, you might say, the pastors or bishops. Pastors would be a good thought here because some people know the elders of the church as pastors. And we're told that they're pastors and teachers, uh, elders or bishops, overseers actually, And the elders which are among you, he says, I exhort, these elders whose business it is to feed the flock. It's their business to do this. He says, to feed the flock of God, in verse 2. The word uh, for the elders to feed means that they're to feed them upon the word, or the word feed includes a thought of rule or guidance. And so... Uh, Peter's exhorting the elders, and he says, Who also am an elder? Now, he was an elder not only in age, he, he was really an elder in age, but an elder in office as well. He held the office of a pastor. In fact, uh, if you remember, Jesus spoke to Peter and actually gave him the task of feeding the lambs and feeding the sheep in John chapter 21. So here he's Uh, not seeing himself as above the other elders, as having a priority or being uh, having preeminence over other elders as a pope or as such, but he says, who also am an elder, in verse 1. He puts himself on the same level as the others that are pastors, the others that are teachers, the others that are uh, elders to, to rule. So if Peter had a flock to attend to, he took care of that flock, that church a local congregation. And uh, he's exhorting others to do the same. There's so much in Scripture when you start studying it, you'll find that uh, we've already stated he doesn't claim himself to be above the others, but on an equal basis. So uh, the idea that some say that Peter was the first pope and he was all the others were under his jurisdiction and rule and authority. He's he's not saying that here, is he? He's not even indicating it in any way uh, or other, and he's not uh, doing anything but putting himself on the same level and declaring that he's exhorting other elders to do the same. He says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He witnessed that. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He had evidently already begun to uh, partake of some of that future glory. 
Peter especially could say, I'm a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, because if you'll remember, he said that he was with him on the holy mount when this was a, a uh, I'd say a preview, so to speak, of the coming of Christ and the glory of Christ. And he declares that to be the case. I believe you'll find it in Second Peter, chapter uh, one. Look in Second Peter, chapter one, where he says in verse sixteen, "We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. For He received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory." This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice we, uh, which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So Peter refers back to that incident on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he says, We were eyewitnesses of his power, of the power and coming. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Mount of Transfiguration was in... Uh, Peter's mind, a preview of that power in the coming of Christ. He saw Christ transfigured, and he saw Moses and Elijah, the two faithful witnesses, with him there in the Holy Mount. And that's one reason I believe that the two faithful witnesses you find in Revelation 11 uh, at least speak of these two prophets, of Moses and Elijah. Some say Enoch and Elijah, but... I believe he's referring to Moses and Elijah. And the signs that both were given are indicated in Revelation chapter 11. And uh, sometime when we study Revelation, I'll give you other uh, thoughts concerning these two witnesses to point them out. And, uh, well, I might just as well say here now, though, that it does not necessarily mean that they will, they themselves will personally reappear, but though it could be that they will reappear. But it does mean that these two prophets, these two witnesses of Revelation 11, will have the same characteristics and same credentials as the Moses and Elijah of the Old Testament. And that's very plain and evident. I better explain. You know, when I get to explaining one thing, I have to explain another. The reason I say that is because when you study, when Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, he says, this is Elijah that was to come. Now then, he didn't mean that John the Baptist was a reincarnation of Elijah. Did he? he meant that he was Elijah-like in his, in his uh, coming before Christ. He came before Christ in the first coming of Christ. John the Baptist did. Well, Elijah will be uh, preceding the second coming of Christ in power and great glory. We're not talking about the rapture now. We're talking about... The, the Revelation 11 precedes or comes before Revelation 19 where Jesus comes back in power and great glory. But that's another subject altogether, but I didn't want to leave you on a limb when I uh, mentioned that. So back in First Peter chapter 5, when he says, um, also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, evidently he was a partaker in that he had already witnessed that glory and Certainly he would be a partaker of it when it was revealed, when Christ's glory would be revealed in the future, when it actually does happen. But then he exhorts them in verse 2, he says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. There's some good instructions here for pastors. 
The word feed means to rule or to guide. I can give you other scriptures in a moment. And first of all, he says, the flock of God which is among you. The pastor's business is to be in the community and live among the flock. That's the best situation. It doesn't mean that a pastor cannot pastor a church at a long distance. Uh, it was said of Dr. Norris that he pastored in uh, Fort Worth, the First Baptist Church of Fort Worth, and at the same time he would fly to Detroit at a big church in Detroit, Michigan. But it, it's not very convenient, and it's not the most ideal thing. The most ideal is that the pastor live among his people in the same community and be at hand, be close by. And you know, uh, when you pastor a church, it doesn't mean, it, it means simply that you have to have all the, the family, the church family, in, uh, in uh, speaking and walking and uh, communicating distance with one another where you can be involved in all their needs. It doesn't just automatically happen that a church exists without leadership and without a pastor being among them. Though the pastor encourages each and every member to minister to one another, yet he has to be present some way, somehow. They have to know he's there. They have to know he's there so when they want to call, they can call. When they need him, he's there. When there's a wedding, he's there. When there's a funeral, he's there. When there's a sickness, he's there. When there's a, a problem that needs to be talked about, he's there. So that the elders which are among you, he says, feed the flock of God. Feed the flock of God, which is among you. So that word among you means he's to be with them, taking the oversight thereof. When, when we're talking about feeding, let me give you some references. Uh, if you look in uh, verse uh, in um, Hebrews 13, verse 17, Hebrews 13, verse 17, there's several passages of Scripture that would be worthy of our notice. You have it? It says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves. The word rule in the marginal reference here is the guide. It says our guide. It doesn't mean rule as a dictator, but rule or guide. Obey them that have the guide or rulership, leadership over you. You see, a pastor is to lead and to guide and to rule. And again, I clarify, it's not uh, as if he dictates anything at all. He doesn't. But he guides by example and he guides by uh, scriptural knowledge, the word of God. And it says, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. In other words, uh, the pastor will have to give an account at the coming of Christ for his uh, direction and his guide over the flock. The pastor of a church becomes personally responsible to guide and to lead in the things of God. And that means in the Word of God, especially when it says feed, it's not only rule and guide, but it's to feed them upon the Word of God, which we'll get to in a moment. But we're trying to give you some things that, that are involved in that word uh, that we read in 1 Peter 5, verse 2. Feed the flock of God. The flock has to do with, with the uh, church having lambs and having sheep, having young ones and older ones. A flock is made up, you know, if you have a flock of sheep out here, what a... You have the, the ewe lambs, you have the, 
the male, uh, the rams, you have the little lambs too. And that's exactly what Paul, uh, what uh, Jesus told Peter. Look in the book of uh, John chapter 21. John chapter 21, beginning with verse uh, 15. And uh, Jesus is speaking to Peter here and giving special directions to the one that is writing this epistle that we've been reading and studying. He's writing this letter, 1 Peter, to other elders. And, to, and the benefit of it, what he's saying, is for other elders, preachers, pastors. Look at verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. See that? Lambs first. The little sheep. The lambs. The newborns. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? The prerogative. I can't say it. What you have to have first is... I got my tongue twisted up. Is love. Jesus says, first do you love me. Then if you love me, you feed my lambs. And then if you love me, feed my sheep, he says. In verse um, 16. Then, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said to him, feed my sheep. In verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter agreed. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. So three times over, Jesus said, Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And we've already been discussing what the word feed means. It means to, to do all these things that we've pointed out. Let me give you some more references. Let's see. We gave you the one in Hebrews. Uh, let's look in... Uh, couple more passages. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. Let me give you a verse here. Verse 12. First Thessalonians 5 verse 12. It says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. See that? See? Those which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and to be at peace among yourselves. So Paul says to know them, to know their place of leadership and guidance and labor and how they admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love, in love. That's, that's what a pastor wants is love from his people. For their work's sake because of the work. And be at peace among yourselves. You know, the thing that pleases a pastor more is to, for his people to be at peace with one another. Be at peace among yourselves. You know, I don't like to have something going on, turmoil of any kind in the church. The Bible says that God is not, not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. He's the author of peace, but he's not the author of confusion. If you have confusion going on, know that God didn't bring that about. People brought that about, right? Differences and, and maybe strife and envy and pride. But it says only by pride in the Old Testament and Proverbs. Only by pride cometh contention. So if we have contention in the church, let's try to humble ourselves in the sight of God and realize that if we get rid of pride, then those things will level out and we won't have the problem. If it's only by pride, you know, it didn't say any other way. You can go back in Proverbs, I'll give you the verse, but we, it's there. Only by pride. 
cometh contention. So if it comes in any other way, then that scripture wouldn't be true, would it? Because it says it's only that way. Only. So, uh, anyway, this passage we just read for you in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. And now let me give you another one. Look in First uh, Timothy chapter 5 in verse uh, 17 and 18. You have 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 and 18. It says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in what? In word and doctrine. In word, that is in the teaching of the word, in the word of God, and in doctrine, the teaching of that doctrine or that word. And it says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And verse 18 says, and if you'll notice, it's connected with verse 17. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. In other words, it has to be verified when you accuse a preacher of doing something, you have to have some witnesses to that effect. It says, receive not an accusation. In other words, just an allegation that that's, uh, some fellow says, one person, he says, don't receive it except by two or three witnesses. In other words, it has to be sure and uh, a fact that the elder is really guilty of something, right? Don't just take it. Because one guy says, now that preacher did so-and-so, you better have some witnesses that he actually is guilty of certain, of certain things. You know, there's a lot of teaching here, and uh, I, I feel it necessary, even though I'm a pastor, to be true to the Scripture, and I'm not saying it for my own benefit, but I just want you to see something here. You know, you've heard of folks complaining about how much the, the preacher gets in, in pay. Have you ever heard folks complain about what the preacher gets? But I want to show you something, and I'll be true to the Scripture here. And I, it's not that I'm expecting it. Never have. But if you look at that verse 17, it says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. That word honor there actually refers to their pay. So that they're really supposed to be worthy of double pay. And you can search that out for yourself. And I won't dwell on it because some people might think I'm twisting that for my own profit. But I want you to see that. You study it out for yourself. So anytime you complain, that the, you know why that is necessary? Because it's told in Peter giving the directions and the qualifications of the elders, he says, let them be there to be hospitable to all. In other words, they're to have the finances to take care of other people and to show their hospitality, and they can't do it. They can't pay the bill for other folks if they only get enough for themselves, right? That would be why they need the double honor, you see, because they have more expenses. You know, if uh, if it's just me taking care of myself and I live on $100 a week, that's fine and dandy. I can make it. But if I have to take, if I have greater obligations, I have greater needs, right? It's just like your family. If you have a small family, one or two to take care of, it takes less, right? But when your obligations increase, it takes more. And God has seen to it that you have sufficient in those areas. But let's get back to this teaching. You can search that out if you want to later. And as I say, I won't dwell on it. 
But next time you hear somebody complaining about how much the preacher gets, you might remind them that he's supposed to get more. All right? Let's look at this. Uh, come back to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you will. It says, Feed the flock of God which is among you. We've already said the word feed means to guide, to rule, to oversee. In fact, Peter makes it very clear what it is. He says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, so he's an overseer, thereof, not by constraint, he's not to be a dictator, but willingly, and not for filthy lucre, not for the money, not to preach for the money, but of a ready mind. See, he's to be willing to do it whether he gets anything or a great deal for his services. Though the scripture we read back there says, For the labor is worthy of his hire, which Jesus said. But this verse says he's not do it, to do it for that purpose. And uh, we should uh, realize that, that, that the true preacher of God, the, the pastor, the, the one that wants to preach the word of God, will preach whether he gets anything, whether he gets a whole lot, whether he has to do with very little. And I've done it in all different directions. I've done without, I've done with. And, you know, Paul says that uh, when in his ministry he says, I'm full having received of Epaphroditus the things that were sent in the book of Philippians, he says, I have enough now. But at times, Paul had, he says, I was in hunger and thirst and I was without. And he says, I've learned that whatsoever state I'm in, Paul would preach whether he got anything or not, wouldn't he? He says, therewith to be content. And Paul could be contented and he could be satisfied even if he had to suffer uh, without, and do without a great deal. And so, when it says, not for filthy lucre's sake, if you take a preacher that will preach for a, a, a good salary, or a preacher who preach for half the salary, or a preacher who preach for nothing, then God is in it. In other words, he's, he's to be willing to preach, regardless. And he doesn't set a price on it. And, as I say, I've been there in all different uh, avenues of that. Thank God that uh, the church is able, and I, I appreciate the, the support that I get now because I'm able to live, you know. But uh, you can ask the finance committee and those that have had charge of the money and answer yourself if it hasn't been different at times. And I don't think you'll get any argument with that. But anyway, let's look at this. It says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight. What are we to feed them? Feed them upon the word of God. Remember Peter said in, in first, with, uh, feed the babes. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Just turn back a page in your Bible. It says, Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and, all, and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, uh, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. The babes are to be fed on what? The milk of the Word. Newborn Christians need the, the simple things of the Word of God, the milk of the Word. They need the ordinary, simple, understandable teachings of the Word. You can't teach uh, one that has just become a Christian the very deepest things, but a lot of people grow up quicker than you think. And a lot of new Christians grow up so, so rapidly that they, they are more mature than some that have been uh, in the church for years. Now, that's really the reverse situation as to what it ought to be, isn't it? Because the younger Christians ought to begin to grow and grow progressively in their Christian lives, and the older ones should have already been more mature. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. 
I can thank God when we have mature Christians that have been in the church a long time and have been taught and are grounded in the Word. That's a great thing, isn't it? To have mature Christians, full-grown, being fed on the meat of the Word, the doctrines of grace, and they know that salvation is by grace. They know Jesus died for our sins, that He was a sacrifice. They know that He rose again the third day. They know He was sinless. They know He was virgin-born. They know that He ascended back to heaven. They know that He's coming again. These are simple and yet fundamental things that they've grown to maturity in these great truths of God's Word. And I would that everyone present, and I'm sure that most of you have by now, grown to the, to the place that you know that you cannot deny these certain fundamentals of the faith and that you've been fed upon them enough. And I trust I'll try to feed you upon them as as uh, each time we meet, so much so that even if you're a young Christian, you'll be grounded in these truths and you won't go away and say, well, I don't know what to believe about the virgin birth of Christ. You know what you are to believe. You know that the Bible says that a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. That Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. See, you'll know after being taught that a few times, even if you're, as I say, a young Christian, you'll know that this is what the Bible says. And that's why I believe in feeding the, the uh, whole church plenty of the doctrines of grace. There's no reason for you to go out of the house of God and wonder whether or not salvation is free to you. Because the Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave him power to become children, sons of God even to them that believe on us now. There's no need for you to go out of the house of God and, and be in doubt as to the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross, that He took your place in death and in suffering, and He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. See, the simple truths of the Gospel, you should have that, a grasp of on that, and you grow to maturity being fed on and. As a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 5, if you will. Some people are to be fed on stronger meat of the Word of God and more become more mature. But I want you to notice, uh, Paul was writing to some that had not grown that much. Look at this in, first, uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse, beginning with verse 12. Well, let's begin with verse 11. He says, of whom we have many things to say, referring to Melchizedek. He says, we have many things to say, but he says, and hard to be under uttered, seeing that you are dull of hearing. These, young, these Hebrew Christians by this time should have known something about the doctrines of grace, and in this case they should have known about the typology of Melchizedek, how he is typical of Christ, our great high priest, you see. And they should have known or be, at least be able to understand that. And Paul says, uh, they're hard to be uttered, the things about him, because you're dull of hearing. In other words, you have not yet matured enough to understand it. Now look what he says. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, he's saying right now you ought to be grown enough and mature enough in the doctrines of grace to be teachers of others. But he says, you have need that one teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God. He says, you've been in the church a long time, you've been Christians a long time, and you need to be taught your ABCs. Wouldn't it be, you know, we have this in high school today, don't we? We have 
Uh, we have those that are graduating from high school today that cannot read and write properly. Have you ever looked in the situation? Look at what they tell about on the news media of how many people that actually stumble their way through high school and they can't even read and write, which is a shame and a disgrace, isn't it? And it's just like here. Uh, Paul says you ought to be teachers now. You ought to be able to understand things. And you have need of the first principles of the oracles of God. In other words, you need to go back and be taught the ABCs of the gospel. Isn't it a sad thing that this condition exists in many churches today? That you have people that have been in church all their life and they cannot tell you the fundamentals of the faith, the doctrines of grace, that they should be uh, like ABCs to them over now? But it's true. It's true that in some churches they have not been taught the doctrines of grace enough that they know that uh, the plan of salvation, that they know the deity of Christ, the birth of Christ, the sinlessness of Christ, the, the uh, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, his priesthood on the right hand of God, the promise of his coming again. And they have those things so muddled and mixed up in their mind. Why? They have not heard, rightly divided, the word of truth. And that's true in many churches across the land. I had one fellow tell me the other day, walked in the store, was talking to him, good Christian man, belongs to another church here in town, and he's a wonderful guy. I love him. Care about him. He says, I wish, he says, all I want is somebody to guarantee me a ticket to heaven. He says, I wish it were possible. I said, well, it's possible. I said, it's not only possible, but very, uh, uh, probable if you will accept, you know, if you accept the right plan. God, Jesus guarantees our presence in heaven. He says, those that believe in me, he says, that they will be with me. He says, I pray, Father, that they shall behold my glory. All those whom thou hast given me. John 14, I mean 17, verse 24. He says, I will. Father, I will. I want everyone that is, my, my, that is a believer in me to behold my glory, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. To be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. And so, Jesus has prayed that we will be in heaven with him. And he said, Father, I don't want, uh, of any one of these, I don't want to lose one. I've kept them in my, thy name, and now I want you to keep them for glory. So it's possible to have the guarantee of God's word, the promise of God's word. When you look at the promise of God's word, you look who it applies to. Who does it apply to? God made a promise. You know, you and I do not take a, a staff, a shepherd's staff, and go out here and smite the water and it part from one side to another. God didn't promise us that we'd walk up to the Pacific Ocean and smite the ocean and walk over to Hawaiian Islands, did he? He promised Moses, though. He says, you take this rod in your hand and I will part the sea. Who was the promise made to? Made to Moses, wasn't it? for the deliverance of the children of Israel. Look at the context of the promises you find in God's Word, and then you'll see who it applies to. See, you, you don't go by and, and claim every promise that was made to every uh, one in the Bible during any particular situation, but God will do what He's promised that He will do for you. And He'll keep every promise He's given you and I as believers. But that doesn't mean you can go back and claim every individual promise. That's where people have gone so far astray today. You know, it says God wrought... Listen, let me give you some things. It says God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Special miracles. One time was only mentioned 
that so from his body there were sent out claws or aprons, and those that uh, received those were healed, you know, healing through those. And I can give you the reference in the book of Acts. But what we're saying is that it says God wrought special miracles. That doesn't give any preacher, didn't even give Peter the right to claim that now I'm going to send out some claws from my body that I prayed over. And yet you find fellas doing it today, don't you? Sending out prayer claws. God didn't promise them anything of that nature. God didn't tell any preachers today to go sending out prayer claws. You show me any scripture warrant for a promise today for a preacher to do that. Peter didn't even claim it. None of the other apostles claimed it. And it was only one special time that it was done through the Apostle Paul. And it was to meet a certain situation that arose. And God uh, uh, blessed it at that particular time. And it didn't even say then that Paul sent them out. So as they sent them out. See, you take the promises of God and let those promises apply to whom they are intended for and keep it within the context and you'll get rid of a lot of this uh, very stuff that goes on today in the name of, uh, of a promise from God. You look into it. Next time you see somebody doing certain things, say, well, did God tell him to do that? Does he have any scriptural want for such a thing? So you'll find that it's true. Uh, that uh, In many cases... All right, let's look at this. Hebrews 5, verse uh, 12. We're talking about the fundamentals of the faith, what the people are to be fed upon. It says, For when for the time you ought to be teachers, verse 12, have it 5, verse 12, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You see? You need the ABCs, you're still babes, you need the milk. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful, that means he has no experience in the word of righteousness. He is not matured, for he is a babe. Now, it's good for babies to be fed milk, but you don't want them to remain babies always. You want them to move on to solid food, don't you? You want Christians that are babes in Christ to grow and to mature and to move on to stronger food in the word of God, more maturity, and to grow up as Christians and to be grounded in the faith, and to know the, the Word of God. And it says, uh, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. That word full age, if you look up at it, it means perfect or mature. Uh, even those who by reason of, of use, or habit of use, or perfection, maturity, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, they're more mature in the Word of God. Okay, back to a passage we're studying in 1 Peter chapter 5. So we're talking about the elders and their responsibilities. Verse 2 says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, taking the rule, taking the guide, guidance, whose business it is to guide the flock, whose business it is to feed the flock, uh, and to lead the flock. And then in verse uh, 3 it says, Neither as being lords over God's heritage, in other words, they're not dictators, are they? But being, look, in samples to the flock. There's to be a, an example of what they're leading the people to do. See, pastors are to be leaders as uh, not only by guidance in the Word of God, but by examples in their own lives. And I know we fall far short of what we should be. But on the other hand, that is our job and our responsibility as preachers to try to be an example. And it says, and when the chief shepherd, now look, we're under shepherds, pastors and elders are 
and teachers are under shepherds. But it says, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Look at that. Isn't that a great thing that there is a chief shepherd over? Who is the chief shepherd? Not Peter. Peter says, We're waiting for the chief shepherd. He didn't present himself as the chief shepherd, did he? He says, We're elders. We're all uh, pastors. We're all the elders that feed the flock. And he says, I'm also an elder. And he says, When the chief shepherd, who is that? Christ, Jesus. When Jesus Christ appears, he's the chief shepherd. Uh, it says, Then uh, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. That's when he appears. That's when that will happen, that fadeth not away. You know, Jesus is seen as the good shepherd. He's seen as the, the great shepherd. And he's seen as the chief shepherd. In John chapter 10, I believe it's uh, verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The good shepherd. Here in 1 Peter 5, verse 4, he's the chief shepherd. But then he's the great shepherd. If you turn to, in Hebrews 13 again, uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 20, how is he seen in the, as the great shepherd? It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus rather, that great shepherd of the sheep, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You know, the order here is, is really uh, giving us a great message. Look at it now. In John, he's the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep. Hebrews 13, verse 20, he is the great shepherd of resurrection. The God that brought again our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, brought again from the dead. See, the resurrection, he's the great shepherd. And then, in Peter... The one we've read, 1 Peter 5, verse 4, he's the chief shepherd when he shall appear again. So you have three aspects of, of Christ seen as the shepherd. The shepherd Christ is seen, first of all, as laying down his life for the sheep. That's on the cross. He's seen as the great shepherd in resurrection. He's seen as the chief shepherd when he shall appear again. By the way, did you know Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are uh, corresponding to these three as well? Psalm 22, 23, and 24. Most of us know the 23rd Psalm, don't we? The Lord is my shepherd. That's the resurrected Christ. He's our shepherd having risen again. He's the one that leadeth in, us in green pastures and besides still waters and etc. But in Psalm 22... There wouldn't be a Psalm 23 if there was not a Psalm 22. Both, not only in, uh, not only in uh, number but, and in uh, respect to Christ's office, but he, in order for him to be as he is in Psalm 23, that great shepherd that leads his sheep, he had to first die for the sheep. He had to be the good shepherd that died for the sheep. So Psalm 22, you know what the first verse of Psalm 22 says? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These were the same words that Jesus spoke where? On the cross, as the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. And in Psalm 23, he is the great shepherd in resurrection. He leads his sheep in green pastures. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Right? He goes before them. And then... In Psalm 24, it speaks of the King of glory when he shall come in. When Christ comes as King of glory, 
He's going to come as the chief shepherd, isn't he, of the flock. And I believe that that corresponds with what we're teaching about these three aspects of Christ as the as the uh, good shepherd and the great shepherd and the chief shepherd. Back in our text now, First Peter chapter 5, our time's about gone, we'll pick up later on. So let's look at this, in these first four verses, and let's sum them up in our minds. The elders which are among you, the elders that are uh, pastors or bishops or uh, uh, leaders of the flock, he says, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, Peter was among them, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He says, feed, or rule, or lead, or guide the flock of God, which is among you, the church of God, the local church, brought back in the, the book of Acts chapter 20, so we'll see that it has to do with the, the local church. Acts chapter 20, if you will, please. Let's read verse 17 first, and then verse 28. Verse 17, it says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church, of this particular church at Ephesus. And in verse 28, he says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock, the local church, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. You see, it was the elders of this church at Ephesus. Over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. He says, This flock is a church. It's the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And he speaks of this church as a complete church. As a, complete, as a flock, but it's a church. It's the church of God. We use too many broad terms sometimes and get it out of context. But he is talking to these elders. Of, he call, called a certain group of elders together, the pastors. It would be like uh, in the greater churches, they have need of more pastors. They have need of more uh, to serve as pastors and, and uh, associates and, and as those that help them. The bigger the church the greater the need. And the more men it takes to fill all the, the uh, position, to meet all the needs. But here he says, Take ye therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So these elders of this Ephesian church were to feed that church. And it was called the flock. Notice it says the flock and it says the church. So when Peter says, back in 1 Peter now, chapter 5, verse, four, uh, verse 2, he says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. And he tells us, and we've read how that they are to do that very uh, special thing. All right, our time is gone. We'll pick up in our lesson. Uh, we didn't get very far, but we'll pick up in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 uh, in our next Sunday evening lesson.